as people, there is so much that we share, that we share alike, because at the core, we're all just people. I know that we often look at what makes us different from others, how we're not like others, or how others are not like us. But the reality is that we have so much more in common than what is different. And in the world today, it might be a good time for us to remember that. We are alike and share more together because of our common humanity. Among the characteristics of our shared humanity is that we are not yet complete. We're not yet who we will be. But rather, each one of us is a work in progress. We are all in the process of becoming. But what are we in the process of becoming? What are you in the process of becoming? Take for a moment, this moment, the opportunity to capture in your mind a picture of the Mona Lisa. Can you see it in your mind? You know what it looks like? It's a masterpiece painted by the legendary Italian Renaissance artist Leonardo da Vinci. And on a side note, it's a lot smaller than you might think it is when you see it in person. But chances are, that you'll probably find that everybody that you pretty much come across will have at least seen a picture of the painting. It is, after all, quite possibly the most famous painting ever. However, here's something that you may have not known about the Mona Lisa. It's said that da Vinci continued to refine and work on that painting on and off, for about 15 years. Took it with him wherever he traveled, on and off, for 15 years, it said that he worked on that. But from the first brushstroke, da Vinci had a picture in his mind of what the painting would become. And then, from that point on, every brushstroke was about turning the canvas into the image that he envisioned. What makes something become a work of art while another work simply ends up in the trash? Hmm? Clarity of vision and skillfulness in carrying out that vision. Clear vision in the hands of a skilled artist becomes art. A lack of vision or a lack of skill or a lack of both results in something destined for the waste bin. Every person's life is a work that's in the process of becoming something. But it's vision and skill that determines what a person becomes. As Christians, this is true for us as well. But I ask you, what is it that we're all in the process of becoming as Christians? Do you have a clear vision of it? 
And what are the necessary skills to accomplish it? These are the questions that we'll be examining today. And so let me begin with the first question. For Christians, what is it that we're in the process of becoming? Answer? Becoming one with Christ and becoming more like Him. For every Christian, that is what we are in the process of becoming. Becoming one with Christ and becoming more like Him. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we talk about what is it that we are becoming as Christians, that's an important question. And if it was asked of anyone who is in Christ, who is a disciple of Christ, then the answer should be clear. Even in this passage, as Paul writes, he is talking about the process of becoming. Where we are not conformed to the world around us, but we're instead transformed into something else. And that something else is lifting up worship to God. That something else is that you may discern what the will of God is. Being one with Christ, being more like Him, is discerning the will of God and doing the will of God, that which is good and acceptable, perfect. Because doing the will of God is the most perfect thing we can do. Amen? When we talk about what is it that we're becoming, that's what we are becoming in the process of becoming as Christians. To be more like Jesus. To be one with Him. And by the way, those two things go together. Oneness with Christ and being more like Him go hand in hand. It's not just a memory of who Jesus was and what He did, but the impact of what those things have meant and what His life among us, in us, and with us represents. Because none of us are finished project. We're all, we, we're all in the process of becoming, but we clearly have to have an idea. We need to know what it is we are in the process of becoming. Amen? For a lot of people, the truth is, they don't know what the heck they're in the process of becoming. Because when it comes to that, they're lost. So, so many people take shots in the dark. They take random attempts and stabs, hoping that they'll find what it is is it therefore surprising that so many people struggle to find their place? Struggle to know how their life fits into the bigger picture? As people who are following Jesus, the answer to that question for us, what are you in the process of becoming, should be clear. To be one with Jesus and to be more like Him. Amen? Amen? 
Secondly, how do you manage to have a clear vision to become one with Christ? How do you manage to have a clear vision to become one with Christ? Answer, reflecting for the purpose of changing. This is how we manage to have a clear vision to become one with Christ. Reflecting for the purpose of changing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 to 32, as Paul writes to the church, he's been talking about the communion, the Lord's table, all that it represents for the church. And the picture of it is when Jesus says, take of this bread and take of the cup as part of the covenant that you have with me in me and do it together as often as you gather. He's talking about the unity that the church is called to have, is supposed to have. But Paul is hearing about a lot of disunity, a lot of fragmentation, and a lot of classifications that people in the church are making when it comes to being part of the church, when it comes to the communion, the Lord's table. So Paul writes to them and says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a person examine himself, herself. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Here, Apostle Paul is saying, look, church, you gather and you partake in the Lord's table, the communion. But for many of you, you're partaking in it wrongly because you partake in a practice that is supposed to remind you of who you are together in Jesus until He returns. And instead, you bring mockery to it because you are classifying yourselves based on your financial situation, your social status, based on your gender, based on, you know, free man, enslaved man. Based on whatever the circumstances are, you are creating division among yourselves even as you declare that you are the church and one with Christ. And he says, because you partake in the Lord's table and you partake wrongly, because you are not actually practicing unity, because you're not doing what the table represents, that's why some of you are sick. That's why some of you are dying. Why some of you are ineffective. He says, but if we judged ourselves truly, In other words, if we examined ourselves rightly, if a person examines himself or herself, then we would not be judged. What he's saying then after is, 
the reason why some of you guys are experiencing the trauma and the ill effects that you are is because God is punishing you. But not for the purposes of punishing in a condemning way, but rather as a disciplinary measure. He's trying to wake you up so that you will see that you're engaging wrongly. That you won't be condemned with the rest of the world. You know what I come to find is that people today don't spend much time in reflection. In fact, I find that a lot of people don't actually even understand the concept of reflection. When we say we're reflecting on something, it doesn't mean we're reflecting on a problem or a circumstance and just thinking about what, we're, uh, what the answer is to that question. Or that we're just pondering something as a philosophical idea. But reflection at the core is that you're looking at something and it is reflecting back upon you and you are reflecting upon and considering the ramifications of it. Think about a mirror. What is the whole purpose of a mirror? So that you can see yourself. Right? Are we, are we not clear? <laughs> Does anybody else use a mirror for something else? We use mirrors to see ourselves. The truly interesting thing is that I don't think that a lot of people today take much time to reflect. We want to know things. We want to know information, right? If there's something out there that you don't know, then internet, Google search, or whatever to learn what it is. If there's some news that's breaking, celebrity, political, or otherwise, people generally want to know. You know what I find people don't do, though? We have so much information available at our fingertips. But something that we don't do is, as people, as a race, as a species, what we don't do much is reflect. We don't consider what it all means in relationship to us. Personally or collectively. We're just all running with it. For what? Why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way you live? That's a question we all should ask. But often don't. Because if all life is, is a series of tasks that we need to complete before we move on to the next, show me the purpose. Are we clear as to what the purpose is? When tasks become the purpose in and of themselves? And if the task is nothing more than being able to live, get the two ends to meet, where you can survive, if that's all it is, is there a single person among us, if you really consider life and your existence that wants to live that way, Anybody just want to survive? I don't believe it. I believe we all want to live with purpose, with clarity, with reason, for a much bigger existence than simply just to live. But to see God glorified, to see others blessed, 
to see people's lives impacted, transformed, to see joy, to see joy in the midst of hardship, the kind that maintains and is steadfast even when difficulties arise, the kind that demonstrates quality above what things might look like on the surface, that we could truly understand the real meaning behind and express the real meaning behind things like blessed rather than the shallowness of the way that we often hear it. Amen? Reflecting for the purpose of changing. Truly, that's a concept that we have to think about. It's not enough that we say we know things about ourselves. How many times, let me ask you, for each of you, are there things about yourself and the way that you're living now that you're not happy with? I think we all have that, myself included. The reason I ask that is because how many, how often have you thought to yourself, you know, I really don't like this, or this really should change? And you've been saying that for years on this or that or the other. Probably many of us, right? Probably all of us to some degree. It doesn't matter if we know what we're not happy with. It doesn't matter and it's not enough to know what should change. It's not enough to know what is a problem. Reflection is for the purpose of changing, of transformation. This is why when any of us look in the mirror and you see something wrong, you don't go, oh, that's interesting. I have that salad that I had for lunch stuck in between my teeth there. Oh, well, I know that people see it. I know it's gross. I'll get to it and then walk out the door. Anybody here doing that? What's mortifying is when you realize you had that piece of salad stuck in your teeth and you were walking around all day laughing and doing whatever it is you're doing, thinking you were all that looking real nice and whatever and realize, hmm, wow, that was embarrassing. Reflection, consideration, thinking, deep thinking. And you know what? There's something else that needs to be said about understanding that we don't know ourselves as as well as we think we do. Here's a thought, that for most of us, do you realize that most of us have never actually seen what we really look like? What I mean is, When you look in the mirror, you assume that's what you look like. Have you ever held like a, or have you ever seen writing behind you, like on like a box or whatever, when you're looking in the mirror? If you have, then what you'll realize is everything's backwards on a mirror because it reflects, but it doesn't show you exactly as things are. So up till now, whatever you thought you would look like, it's not actually what other people are seeing. I discover this in a kind of disturbing way in practice through Zoom. You know, we're all experts on Zoom now, right? They have this feature on Zoom called mirroring. And when you have mirroring on, you see yourself as you normally see yourself in the mirror. I use Zoom a lot for different kinds of meetings. And I discovered that and I clicked it. I'm like, eh, no, don't need no mirroring. I'm going to, you know clicked it, 
and was using it during all my meetings. But you know, the, one of the things that I hate most about Zoom is while you're talking to other people, while you're looking at other people, your face is staring back at you. Right? Unless you click that off. At a certain point, I couldn't take it anymore. And I turned mirroring on. Because what I was seeing, though looked really familiar, it wasn't exactly what I was used to. The way that my hair was parted was the opposite. The way that my eyes and my face, you know, some of the little nuances that I'm familiar with was all opposite. And it was irritating me and I couldn't take it. I was like, man, do I really look like that? I can't take it. Click. I think we think we know ourselves. And maybe we know ourselves to a certain degree. But the truth of the matter is, that what we get used to thinking we know about ourselves is what we wish was the case, even if it's not. Because in reality, I don't think we see ourselves in real truth. We see an approximation, right? We see ourselves as we kind of are. But what God is trying to do is to transform us from who we actually are to who He actually is. To be more like Him. To be one with Him. But if we're going to do that, then we have to be able to see ourselves more clearly than we do presently. And to do that, then we have to reflect. We have to have self-examination. I originally titled this a self-reflective Christian. And I was like, wait a second, that's redundant. Reflection means that you're looking at yourself already. But we need to do that. We need to examine self. And we don't do it nearly enough. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Truth of the matter is, sometimes we, often, we have a love-hate relationship with ourselves. We love ourselves and we think more highly of ourselves in certain ways than we ought. And it's not based on reality, it's based on our wishing. And then in some ways we hate ourselves in certain ways more than we ought. And we can't stand those things that we don't like about ourselves. And yet somehow these two sides of the same coin exist. We need to have sober judgment. Sober judgment. Not judgment. Sober judgment. You know, you ever been around drunk people? I've been around drunk people. And you know what I realize is when people are drunk, it doesn't change who they are. It just reveals certain things. So when someone says, oh, I didn't... That's not me. I did it because I was drunk. I'm like, no, that's you. It's just the button that you've usually been holding, you know, to keep that under check was loosened by your drunkenness. Right? Some people are super happy drunks. Some people are angry ones. Some people are sad ones. When you're drunk, you say all kinds of things. And sometimes some of that stuff is nonsense. And sometimes you do certain things that you have the courage to do that you realize you shouldn't have had the courage to do. And then when it's all said and done, you know that 
thing that's called the walk of shame. You all know, you ever heard of the walk of shame? After you've done something stupid because of drunkenness, then in the light of day, when everything you're hungover, you have to make the walk, either to your car, to your home, or wherever. But it, it has everything to do with the sober light of day. Whatever something looked like at night. Isn't it interesting how your judgment is impaired when you're drunk and it's dark? If you don't know, thank God you don't know. But sober judgment is something that we absolutely need. That's what we are commanded to have so we can examine ourselves. Let me ask you, what are the things that you haven't really been looking at about yourself that you should be? You know what the interesting thing about that question is? Is in some sense, if you haven't really been examining yourself, then you won't know. But that's the whole part of it. There's so much we don't really know about ourselves that we should that comes by way of sober judgment, evaluation, reflection, asking God to help us see. And by the way, all of this is in light of, okay, then what does it mean to clearly see? In this passage, Paul was talking about 1 Corinthians. He says, taking the Lord's table and taking it improperly. In other words, the whole point is, he's saying, you're the church, you're disciples of Jesus. You partake in the communion, his table, that expresses so much of the unity and the promises and work of Christ, and yet you live otherly. To clearly, clearly have a vision of becoming one with Christ, it means doing what the Lord's table signifies. Sharing in unity, sharing in oneness, and engaging in such a way that demonstrates all of the things that Jesus represents. This brings me to the third point, which we'll get into that. What are the necessary skills to accomplish oneness with Christ? What are the necessary skills to accomplish oneness with Christ? There are three. These three are, and this is based on everything we've already covered in our passages. It's one, uh, it's one obedience, two, humility, and three, selflessness. Obedience, humility, and selflessness. Now, some of you might be asking, obedience, humility, and selflessness are skills? Really? Aren't those just like qualities? Not skills? They're skills. You know how I know? Because nobody starts off being perfectly obedient. Not even close. Nobody starts off being perfectly humble. Not even close. And selflessness? Are you kidding me? All human beings, from the time we're little, we think that we're the center of the universe. And it takes a lifetime for some. Well, usually for most all of us. It takes a lifetime for us to discover that that's not actually true. Obedience. Obedience to God's word, to his command, to his voice. That's something we need to practice every day. And we are truly not going to get any better at it if we're actually not practicing it. 
If you think, any of us think that we're just going to become magically obedient to God's voice tomorrow or next year just because, then you're going to be in for rude awakening because it doesn't work that way. Obedience occurs through the course of much effort, much practice, of doing it when you don't feel like it, of doing it when it doesn't come natural, until it does. Obedience is hard. Obedience to God means that it sometimes and often goes against our own desires, our own will. But it just so happens that for as much as we're called the church, isn't it the case that we often... Practice disobedience, not obedience. Right? Part of being one with Christ is obeying, submitting to Him. Humility. Humility. Being, thinking of others more highly than themselves. Thinking of others more highly than ourselves. That is at the core of humility. It's hard. Because we want to be experts in it. We want to be experts in you know, in our own minds, right? With some valuable things to tell other people. And I know we all want to be uh, special and, and, and unique in this world. Humility's, in some sense, it's hard because how do you manage having a healthy sense of self-esteem when you treat others better than yourselves? But I will argue that the person who can demonstrate humility, thinking more highly of others than themselves, is the person who really understands themselves and actually has a greater sense of self-esteem in a positive way than the person who doesn't. What I've come to understand about strength is, strength isn't strength because it expresses itself all the time. If you're the strongest guy in the room, you don't go around trying to tell everybody how strong you are. If you are the most toughest woman you know, in the room, you don't go around by trying to advertise it to everybody. The person who's truly strong knows that they are. And when the time comes that needs to be exercised, does. But there's a confidence, a quiet confidence that comes with knowing. This is why when somebody charges you with something that you're not guilty of, you can say, you know what? That's not me. You can even be righteously upset that that somebody is accusing you of that, but at the end of the day, you can say, I'm not guilty of that. I have the comfort of being innocent, right? Humility is strength, not something something that our culture teaches. And finally, selflessness. Selflessness. We often talk about serving other people. Serving, right? Service is something that we talk about doing, and yet... Isn't it the case that serving, we can often do it as a way to express ourselves rather than to express care for somebody else? Selflessness is the only way to serve. When we talk about the Lord's table, obedience, humility, and selflessness are the core of what it means to be one with Jesus, to be like Jesus, because that's what Jesus was. That's who He is. He was perfectly obedient to the Father. He was humble beyond words because when God is God, the fact that He would come into the world and become like us, take up our sin upon us, be rejected by His own creation, and still carry out His mission to save us and redeem us, that's humility. 
unlike any other. And selflessness? Is there anybody more selfless than Jesus? To serve and to give himself away. It wasn't about protecting himself from the injury, from the harm, from the pain. But Jesus gave himself away. And we're all here because we received a part of him. When we partake in communion, that's what we're expressing when we say we are taking the body and the blood. That Jesus gave himself away. And we took those pieces that he gave away so that we might be redeemed, that we might be healed, so that we might be truly one with him and one with each other. Amen? I bring this to your attention as a reflection because as we come to the end of a year, this is rightly a good time for us to reflect. I don't know what it is that has, what your year has been like, but maybe you haven't had much time to reflect upon it either. But as you head into the next, I encourage you to be a reflective Christian. Setting your sight upon Jesus. And asking yourself, am I being more like Jesus? In the church, am I expressing what it means to be partaking in the Lord's table? And beyond that, in the world out there, am I doing good? Am I doing it obediently to Jesus? Humbly and selflessly? In his names, for his namesake? Because this is what touches every aspect of our lives. I'll leave you with this. Self evaluation is a necessary part of becoming one with Christ. However, the, that reflection must be undertaken with the purpose of personal transformation. Reflection must be undertaken with the goal of personal transformation. Therefore, personal reflection invites God and others, those in the church, to participate in the process so that you become truly one with Him. I want to make sure that I leave that point with you because though we call it reflection or personal evaluation, that doesn't mean we engage in it alone. That's the myth. Even though it's personal reflection, personal evaluation and assessment, we engage in it with God's help and the help of those in the church. Amen? So I encourage you, in these days and weeks to come, start practicing this more until it becomes something that is so natural to you.